Retirement is often seen as a destination, but we believe it's an opportunity to pursue your passions, realize your dreams, and live a purposeful life. Great decisions, incredible lives. Retire with Intention podcast is about more than just money. It's about embracing the things that truly matter, the experiences, the relationships, and the impact you leave behind. Here is your host, John Creekmer. Well, hello, everybody. John here, and great to be back in touch with you again, and I hope that you are having a wonderful uh, week and everything is going well for you, and uh, thank you again for listening in to Great Decisions, Incredible Lives, and uh, I'll tell you, it's been such a joy over the last year being able to talk and uh, with so many incredible people and just meet uh, just some people and have feedback from a lot of your listeners um, as you're calling in and you're emailing and you're connecting with me on different social media platforms. It's been great to hear how you've taken information um, and how you've taken and applied it to yourself and you've made some great decisions and it's really helping you in your life journey uh, to accomplish those big goals. And uh, one of the things that I've really learned over the years is that everybody has got huge goals and huge hopes and dreams and they're huge to them. Uh, They may not think they're huge, but they're huge to them. And um, our job is just to help you make better decisions. And so today, though, I am really excited uh, to introduce you to us to really a new friend of ours, Julie. And um, and Julie is an estate planning attorney. And uh, I'm going to say from all points here and there anymore and uh, really kind of become remote uh, from the city of Chicago, Chicagoland area. And so phenomenal background, phenomenal um, experience and just a tremendous resource we're going to be walking through just a lot of practical tips on the estate planning side. Hey, Julie, before we get going, though, can you kind of hop in, introduce yourself, a little about your background, and uh, kind of what are those areas that you focus on? Yeah, my name is Julie Kloje. I'm an, uh, an attorney in Illinois, mainly, as John said, in the Chicagoland area. My practice has been focused on, you know, what happens when people become disabled and when they die, and how do you plan for those things from a legal perspective? Mm-hmm. You know, it's really about questions about, you know, if you were in that hospital bed, you can kind of imagine yourself in the hospital bed, who's standing around, who might you want to make health decisions for you, who might you want to make financial decisions for you. And then, of course, when you pass away, like, who's going to do all that wrapping up of the final affairs, and who gets what and on what basis? So my, I've been an attorney since 1996. I worked in a law firm setting for 20 of those years. And then in 2018, I decided I wanted to start a virtual law practice where I could use all the items of technology, including Zoom and all of those things to make the process a little smoother, use attorney time in the best way for the most benefit for clients. And that was about a year before COVID. So when COVID came around, I just hit the ground running and things have just been getting better and better. Yeah. So that means that you're kind of like a trendsetter, right? You're a visionary. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you. I don't think so, but. (laughs) It worked out good. So, hey, walk me through, if you could, for for all of our listeners, um, what's that experience like? Sometimes people like to meet face-to-face, so that's been their only experience. Uh, What have you seen as far as meeting clients for a remote situation as far as on video, uh, whether it be Zoom or Teams or whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. How has that experience gone for clients? Um, I think, you know, from the perspective of use of time, like we're from the Chicagoland area. So as you may know, John, and other people who are in the Chicagoland area, there's a lot of traffic, a lot of time spent in traffic, and people are busy. It doesn't matter if you're 20, if you're 40, or if you're 80, 
you know, things are busy. And so I think that clients have appreciated having that efficiency. Like for me personally, I'm willing to do meetings at seven o'clock in the morning or Saturday at 9am because, you know, it's a little easier for me to do that too. Uh, so it's, it's created a lot of flexibility in the schedule that where we can really accommodate the client's schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they really appreciate the convenience. You know, there's something about being in person that a lot of people like, but for the most part, I, I think people, they're willing to give it a shot for an initial consultation. And then once they, once they experience it, then they really don't have any objection to the process. Right. So, I think you're, you're so right. It's just that convenience factor. It's uh it's about whenever I need to get some, some questions answered, maybe and sometimes, Julie, when you're working on a case, all of a sudden it's like, boy, I have another question. I'd like to really quickly talk with the client to get some feedback. It's so nice to everyone used to being able to sit down on a quick Zoom call and see each other face to face, kind of walk through, mm-hmm. um, walk through a little bit of those questions and get the answers we need pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one thing about my practice is I've been able to use the whiteboard. I do use Zoom like you do. And I've been able to, I'm now an artiste with the whiteboard. At first it wasn't so pretty, but I'm really able to use the whiteboard to help clients like visually, like a lot of people are visual learners. And so I've really been able to use the whiteboard to really explain things in a way that I think clients, it really helps the understanding process of the estate planning process. Yeah. So let's kind of walk through estate planning and, uh, I think a lot of people have an idea, or maybe they think they have an idea of what estate planning really is, what it entails. And and there are some people that I've talked to that said, well, I'm not a Rockefeller, so do I really need to go through estate planning? Can you kind of walk through, I mean, you have you know a couple of decades of experience and a very accomplished in estate planning. Can you walk through for all the listeners what estate planning is and why it might be important to go through estate planning? Yeah, so it kind of starts with when you're a young person and you're under age 18 in Illinois, at least. Some other states have different, you know, exact ages. But before you turn that age of majority, you're presumed to be incompetent. There might be a lot of teenagers who might object to that (laughs) characterization. But from a legal perspective, the parent is the guardian of that young person. Mm -hmm. Now, when the person turns 18 or whatever the age is in your state, the light switch flips and now they are presumed to be competent and they have the the right and the authority to make all their own decisions and no one else in the world does. So the first step in estate planning is kind of dealing with health decisions, financial decisions in the event of disability. So we've had situations where a college student might, you know, get hit by a car or have meningitis or they're at the hospital and their parents are 600 or 2,000 miles away, hmm. and the parent can't get any information. So that's kind of like the entry into estate planning is like everybody needs a healthcare power of attorney and a power of attorney for property. And maybe even like a medical authorization kind of naming their parents so the parents can find out what's going on when, when things are happening hmm. in the, that college context. Mm-hmm. So then kind of moving forward, you know, people start their lives, they get a job, maybe they get married, now they have a baby. So, um, you know, it is important for people who have young children to have guardianship nominations, and it's normally done in the context of the will. So that's kind of like the next entry point. And then, you know, people have different things that happen during their lives. They might have somebody pass away or become disabled that, you know, it really triggers them to say, well, know what? Like, I really want to take care of all of this myself for myself so that I never put my the people I love, my family members and my friends in a situation where I'm not prepared and they're not prepared and it's kind of a mess. 
as you know, people retire and they're planning for that sort of thing. But, you know, really powers of attorney, wills, like a last will, last will and testament, called all of those things. And then we also do planning with trust. So there's ways to avoid, um, you know, so there's a process called probate. And probate is the court process at the end of life where, you know, the family would have to go into the court, be in front of a judge and say, hey, mom, dad has passed away. We need to appoint an executor. And then they have to go through that court process called probate. And there's expense and time and loopholes that are associated with that process that can be avoided. And there's informal ways to avoid those, that process and more formal ways. So our joint tenancies and beneficiary designations are informal ways to avoid that court process. Trusts are a more formal way. You know, you can talk to a lawyer about what a trust is, or, or I can explain it. But that's a more formal way to avoid that court process and make the whole thing of becoming disabled and dying a private process versus a public process. Mm. So with so, a trust, a trust is really a separate legal entity, right? So that's a whole other entity. But once it's created, I have an, I've talked to a number of clients over the years. They say, they say, oh, yeah, I've created a trust. Um, but they, they've never done anything with the trust. And so is there a process, maybe something called funding the trust, they need to walk through, and if they don't do that, what does that mean? Yeah, so the trust, a trust is a separate entity from the person who creates it, who's called the grantor or the settler of the trust. And there are different roles in the trust. So there's the trustee of the trust, who is the manager of the trust. And then there's the beneficiary of the trust, who is the person, people, or entities that have the benefit of whatever is owned by the trust. So at first, like there's different types of trust, irrevocable trust, revocable trust, special needs trust, descendants, all these different types of trust. So when you hear about trust, the type of trust that most people are talking about is called a revocable trust. So revocable trust, the person who creates it is the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary, and they have the, the right to revoke it at any time. So it's really a pass-through entity. Hmm. So once it's created, it's created with a, you know, 50 to as many page document as your attorney wants to complicate your life with. Um, but once it's created, um, you sign it and now you have a trust. But then there's a second step, as you mentioned, of funding the trust. Mm. So funding the trust means that we're either going to take assets and own them inside the trust and own them as trustee of the trust, or we're going to name the trust as beneficiary on assets like life insurance, 401ks, we even have bank accounts, maybe even, you know, stock accounts uh, made payable to a trust. So it just kind of depends like which one you want to do, but there's still a benefit to creating the trust. You're going to have a will that pours over to it. A pour over will is a, if you imagine the trust like a, a wine decanter and the will like a wine bottle, whatever you have at your desk that's not in your trust or payable to your trust pours into the cup of that trust decanter. Mm-hmm. So there's still a benefit to doing it because there's a lot of good provisions in the trust for your beneficiaries. So for your children and your grandchildren, there's things you can give them that you can't give to yourself, which is creditor protected assets, mm-hmm. um, protected from divorce, future ex-daughters-in-law or sons-in-law, you know, uh, protection from disability, all sorts of contingency planning that we can put in a trust that, you know, that's really a huge benefit of the trust, regardless of whether you fund it or not. Mm-hmm. Of course, encourage my clients to fund it, and I give them specific instructions on how to do that, and I participate in that process with them as well mm-hmm. to help them get it done. Sure. Now, it's interesting, too. You mentioned a number of other documents that I think should be there for everybody. So you said a power of attorney and uh, two mm-hmm. different types of power of attorney. 
Can you kind of walk through the difference? I think one is health and one is financial. Can you walk through the difference? And should the power of attorney be the same person for both those documents or should it be a different person? So yes, absolutely. I can help you with that. So with the power of attorney, uh, basically the person creating it is called the principal. And then there's the agent. And the agent is going to be chosen by the person creating it or the principal. And once that document is signed, now we have nominated an agent. Now there's two different types of powers of attorney, as you stated. There's the power of attorney for healthcare. So in that case, the principal is making a decision about who to appoint as agent to make health decisions for them. And most of the time we're creating that as a durable power of attorney, which means that the agent will only begin to act if and when the person who creates becomes disabled. Hmm. So hopefully my clients go all the way through their life and die peacefully in their bed many years in the future. And they never need to use that document, but it's a just in case document. So you're in the hospital bed, you're out of it. It could be a car accident. It could be many years in the future and you're declining from old age and capacity. You can kind of imagine who's in the room who might be doing well. It's an emotional situation when, you know, if it's, if your mom or dad and it's your kids, or even if your siblings or whomever it is, that's an emotional situation with a family member in the hospital bed. And you got to kind of, I hope my clients like think through the dynamics of that. Like who's in the room, who's getting along, who communicates well, who's not getting along um, in terms of those health decisions. So then the second type of power of attorney is uh, the power of attorney for property or finance. Um, and in that document, again, the person creating it's called the principal, and they're naming an agent, maybe a successor agent, to act for them for financial reasons if they can't make financial decisions for themselves. In that hospital bed, now somebody needs to go to your house, open your mail, pay your bills. That's what the power of attorney for property does. Hmm. The um, You know, it's estate planning. A lot of folks come into estate planning. We talk about it when they come into the office and uh, we're on the telephone or however we're communicating and uh, we kind of go through things and they always try to walk through, well, boy, what's the benefit of, of a proper estate planning? And they seem to focus on a couple of things, which you mentioned one of them earlier, uh, probate, and uh, want to avoid probate and the, and the cost and the, the public nature of that and get all that information out. But then they also always talk about um, taxes. So whether it be estate taxes, sometimes they say, well, it's going to save me taxes or referring to income taxes. Well, maybe, maybe not. And so, but there's also potential estate tax. Every state is different with that. We know the federal government has got outlines on that. Can you kind of walk through that second part is of how does estate planning factor into total taxes paid uh, whenever a person passes away? So there's different types of taxes. There's income tax, mm-hmm. um, there's gift tax, and then there's a thing called estate tax. And so um, for the most part, when we're dealing with trust, we're dealing with either the gift or the estate tax when we're talking about taxes. Like a trust itself is when it's when I'm the person creating it and I'm the trustee and I'm the beneficiary, it's just a pass through from an income tax perspective. So there's no like you're going to get your 1099s, you're going to take them to your tax advisor just the same way you do every year. So for the person creating it, there's really not a difference. Um, mm-hmm. from an income tax perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, from with a gift and a state tax perspective, that's really going to come into play when the person who creates it passes away. And whether they need to worry about that is really going to be dependent upon the state that they're in because some states, about half of the states, have a state a state tax and half of them don't. So in like Illinois, for example, is it a state that has 
state estate tax. So basically, we take a snapshot in time at the death of the uh, at the death of a person, and we say, are the assets that this person has given away during their lifetime or at their death do those exceed four million dollars? Illinois has a four million dollar exclusion. So if the answer to that is yes, then we're going to need to file an Illinois estate tax return, and estate tax will be paid on the amount over four million. So if you're at four million one hundred, you know the one hundred thousand would be subject to estate tax, and you know it depends. It's a step tax, but it ends up being around sixteen percent of the amount over four million dollars. There are some states that have a much lower exemption. Um, some have a million dollar exemption. Um, others have a higher exemption. So it just depends on the state you're in. People ask me, what's the best way to avoid the Illinois state tax? And the answer is, go move to a state that does not have a state tax. So you got your Arizonas and your Floridas and your Tennessees of the world. And there's others as well that do not have state estate tax. So that is one good planning strategy. You can totally avoid the Illinois state tax. Hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people have family and grandchildren and things like that in the state of Illinois. And while it'd be nice to go visit someplace warm, they don't necessarily want to move and not be a part of those mm. people's lives during that time. Right. Um, so there is the federal estate tax, which right now the exemption is um, north of $12 million per person. Um, it is scheduled to sunset at the end of 2025. And we're not sure exactly what that's going to sunset to or if they're just going to continue the current law. So we're just kind of playing a wait and see on that mm. with a lot of clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I had a, a client come in, uh, very first meeting, and a uh, spouse had passed away. They were a small business owner. And um, and when she came in, I actually saw her get out of her car. And we're in our office where I was at the time was on the third floor. So I could kind of look down and see um, everything in the parking lot. And it was a kind of a windy, rainy day. And and so she had everything in a bag, a paper bag and a shoebox, believe it or not. And uh, the wind blew, it fell down, all of her papers got blown around. And, um, and she came in, it was obviously an emotional time uh, for her. And we walked through her, uh, she goes, this is my estate planning. And that was how she had done that. There was no trust work set up. They had no power of attorneys, actually. And so in making final life decisions, it was uh, a very challenging, emotional time with different opinions from the family. There was all of the business assets, the business decisions, and none of that had played into it. And so that was a very extreme case, Julie, where I saw a lot of the negative consequences that you've mentioned hit one family all at the same time because of not walking through the estate planning. Now, they had a very, I'll say a little more of a complex situation because of the small businesses. But let's say an individual has a small business or a business of some kind, and it's treated differently. And it's interesting, and I'd like to hear your opinion from a personal standpoint. So we have our business, the Creekmer Companies, and uh, we have two of our children, adult children that work for us. And my wife, Stacy, and I, we run the organization together. And, um, and then we have one son who's not involved in the business, and uh, we're in multiple states, and so it's a little more complexity. So we're actually walking through our own estate planning, uh, pre-estate planning discussions right now. Um, so when you kind of think about that situation, what is some counsel you can give to someone who's maybe a small business owner about what things to be aware of when they're thinking about doing estate planning? So absolutely. I deal with clients who have businesses. And sometimes, you know, entrepreneurs never think they're going to die. They're always worried about what's happening right now, you know. Yeah. Um, but as people get older and they become less able to do these things, they do start thinking about business succession. 
And so, you know, there's estate planning and then there's business success and planning. And I really feel like you have to do both of those things at the same time. A lot of estate planning attorneys, they just do the estate plan and they do not look at any of the business aspects of the estate plan. So as with any business, business succession planning can be challenging. So like, do you hire from within? Like, who's your successor? Is that somebody who works with you, a long-term employee? Maybe that might be a long-term employee that is a family member of yours. Maybe you're going to bring somebody from your family into the business that would, you know, that would be a suitable thing for them. And they're going to grow up in the business. Um, you know, so in terms of who that successor is can really complicate things, especially mm. when it comes to family members. And then you mentioned it in your business that there are family members who are involved and family members who aren't involved. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times when we're doing planning, we're going to kind of look at the business succession planning and the estate planning. Like, how does this work? Who's getting what? Is it a gift? Are they buying it from the estate? You mm -hmm. know, are we going to sell it to them now? Are we going to wait until we pass away to give it to them? Um, and there's a lot of different factors to go that go into that. Like, for example, if you do have an estate tax situation for that business owner where it's either a state or a federal estate tax that's going to be paid. Now we get involved with estate tax. We have some capital gains issues. We have, you know, there's gifting issues. So there's a lot of different tax aspects. But when in my practice, at least, you know, there's a lot of attorneys who just look at tax and that's all they do. You know, they're, they're going to like try to like force their client into a certain path because of the tax aspect. With me, I like to listen to the clients, find out what's important to them and, you know, really try to accommodate exactly what they want in the context of, and then still plan for the taxes and advise them of those things. But, you know, sometimes the aspects of life are more important than the tax aspect. Hmm. So letting the tax tail wag the dog is not, you know, so like, for example, with you, I'd sit down with you and your wife and we talk about it. We talk about the family dynamics. I'd ask you to tell me all sorts of stuff about your children, how they get along. You know, what was it like when they were 16? Because it's not that much different when you're 50 or 60 or 70 than when you were 16. And so really kind of dig down into that. And like, how do people feel? How does what we put in your estate plan, how are they going to, how is that going to affect their relationship after you're gone? You know, if you think fairness is important, what's your definition of fair? You have a child who's working in the business and it wouldn't be what it is today except for that child. And the other two aren't in the business. And so like you give the business to that child, or even if you don't have a lot of other assets that you're giving to the other children, might we buy life insurance kind of, a, a, you know, there's different ways to address that, but it's more about like what the clients want and what they want to see happen. Mm -hmm. What is, you know, what, what's fair in their definition. Mm -hmm. So is it an equal split? You know, so it's definitely important, like even if a business owner isn't ready to do business succession planning, I'd still go and do the estate planning because there's some basic stuff. Like you're in that hospital bed and who's making a health decision for you. So mm -hmm. even if you're not ready as a business owner to do the business succession planning, I'd still start the process of the estate planning. And then we can do it in layers. We do that base amount and then we kind of build on it, get a little bit more complex. Now we bring in the business succession planning we don't have to do it all right now. So sometimes, you know, the complexity of thinking about that prevents people from even starting. So just, you know, come on, you know, get an appointment with an attorney, start the ball rolling, um, and you'll find out exactly what it is for you. Yeah. I love that, how you phrase that. Um, it actually speaks to the way that I love to work with our clients. I love to work personally. And that's sitting down and having a conversation about what's most important 
to each individual. We're all so different. Every one of our listeners is different. And um, and so, folks, if you're working with an attorney or with a uh, with a counselor or a planner, and um, the first thing you sit down is they map out the roadmap of where you're going to go without you having input on that, you probably want to move to a different counselor because um, mm-hmm. you want to have them ask questions and really make sure they're good listeners and uh, they're taking notes and they're paying attention to what you're saying and ask additional follow-up questions because otherwise the plan that's created is not going to be the plan that really resonates with you. So, uh, mm-hmm. Julie, that's phenomenal counsel uh, for everybody where they're at. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Can you kind of walk through, we kind of, I, I outlined kind of a situation with a, with a client that came in for the first time that was not, things had not been planned well. Can you kind of walk through, if you said, you know, here's an ideal situation where a client meets with you for the first time, but then as you kind of walk through things, here were the things that were put in place that made sense for the client as a success story. Can you think through any success stories that might make sense to share? For sure. Um, Now, one thing I want to preface this with with is no matter what, the dying process does have work associated with it. So, you know, what I think that the estate planning process and the financial planning process and the business succession process is really about, you know, there's a lot of things that the client has within them and knowledge that they have within themselves that nobody else knows. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes that's not in such great order. You know, they have assets in a million different places. They have their business, they have business complications, life insurance policies, stock certificates in the drawer that you don't even know how much it's worth. Um, And so the estate planning process, the financial planning process is the, it's kind of like a process where you're able to get your house in order. Mm. And so getting your house in order might be consolidating assets, you know, not having things all over the place. It's, you know, once you create that trust, you do need to fund it. So it's a good time to make a list of assets that you own, including life insurance, everything. You know, getting your your important people around you, your accountant, your financial advisor, your attorney information all in one place. You know, it's really a opportunity to get things in order. So, you know, the trust funding process does allow us to do that. And then we work as attorneys, we work with financial advisors and accountants to, you know, help make sure the clients do that. But instead that organizing, a lot of times I find with, and you probably do too, mm-hmm. with married couples, there's one that's like the financial person and there's the other that doesn't do any of that. There's the one that has all the passwords and knows where everything's at and the other doesn't. And so that is actually a trigger, like as people get older, like the one who's doing everything gets concerned or the one who doesn't know everything everything gets concerned about what would happen if this person goes, it's going to be a mess. It sounds mm-hmm. like that's what your client was experiencing. Um, and so it's like a collecting of knowledge and also like putting in place the documents that will make it smooth for whoever that is that's left behind. Right. Smooth to take over in the event you become disabled, smooth to, you know, be able to collect assets, pay whatever needs to be paid and distribute your assets the way you want them to when you pass away. Mm-hmm. So I think with that, with the client you're speaking of, if that had happened, she probably would have had a nice neat binder versus a lot of documents shoved in a, in a shopping bag that blew across the parking lot. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. Not, the organization of bringing it all together. And, you know, I, some folks that are listeners know these stories. And, uh, you know, my father passed away during COVID and uh, 79 years old and uh, a wonderful man that uh, had a lot of wisdom in him. And uh, one of the things that I thought was very wise is that he actually, you know, they did well in life, but uh, uh, but they're regular people. And uh, he had gone through proper estate planning 
And so he had all of his documents laid out. He updated those regularly. He had his binder of which he had all of his accounts and assets and passwords, um, locations of uh, actual physical assets, everything laid out so that when it came time, and he had actually laid out uh, and updated every six months his final wishes uh, from a medical care standpoint. So when it came time for myself and my two sisters and my mom to help uh, make some decisions, uh, whether it be for his personal care physically or for uh, financial care for my mom afterwards, we able, were able to navigate that um, in, in a very easy, strong fashion with good outcomes. Uh, but when you're walking through mourning and loss, that's not the time to have to be worried about um, documents and, and organization and things like that. So, uh, Julie, phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal resource. Great interview today. I really appreciate it. So many great nuggets of wisdom there. Hey, before we sign off and say goodbye to everybody, is there anything that we've not covered so far that you would like to you know, give to everyone as far as just a, a piece of knowledge or information or whatever before we leave today? Um, I think the only thing that I would add really quickly is that you just mentioned it, that you know the time to be becoming disabled and dying is an emotional thing and there's a lot going on. I can't tell you how many times I had clients say they came into me the month after their husband passed away or the wife passed away it's a year later and they don't even remember what we talked about. Mm, it was, yeah. you know, it was just so emotional of a time that they didn't even know how emotional it was for them until after they came out of it on the other side. So the more you can do to make that as easy as possible through proper tax planning, financial planning and estate planning, maybe even business succession planning, it's really worth it to get the ball rolling on that. Yeah. To, to the benefit. It's really a gift to your loved ones of yeah. organization from chaos. Yeah. 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 Phenomenal. Julie, thank you so much for time today. I know our listeners are going to come back and, uh, and give a lot of great comments as far as things we talked about, as far as impact on their life. I really appreciate it. Uh, tremendous wisdom. And uh, uh, it was excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. And, and thank everybody, you, John. yeah, I appreciate the time. Everybody, uh, if you want to get in contact with Julie or uh, find out as far as how to set up an appointment with her, everything's in the show notes for how to get a hold of her, all of her contact information. So definitely make sure you check that out. And um, as always, folks, I look forward to talking to you again next time uh, right here on Great Decisions, Incredible Lives. We'll connect again next week. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening to the Great Decisions, Incredible Lives, Retire with Intention podcast with host John Creekmer. Follow us on social media, visit our website, and join our community of like-minded individuals redefining retirement and living incredible lives. Please leave us a review and share our podcast with others who may benefit. We wish you a future filled with purpose, fulfillment, and the joy of living your incredible life in retirement.